Well, how many of you uh, have an excellent memory? You're good at to-do lists. You really don't need to write a whole lot of stuff down uh, because you're just good at that sort of thing. Well, uh, how about those who are always asking Siri to remind you of something or another? Uh, yeah, don't feel bad if you, the more reminders, the better is uh, uh, how you feel about things because uh, Peter's going to remind us that we all need reminding no matter how good our memories are concerning spiritual truths that are so easily lost upon us, so easily forgotten, and which could be a real liability because they're truths about God with eternal ramifications. And so that's why Peter's going to admit to us this morning here, as we pick back up in the middle of chapter 1 of his second letter, uh, not only that he's been repeating truths that they already know he intends to keep on doing that as a safeguard for their souls and ultimately our souls as well. Because he knows and the Holy Spirit knows that, uh, you know, we can know the truth and we know what God requires and conveniently in the heat of the moment, uh, we misplace that truth. How easily it just <laughs> uh, slips our minds right when we needed it the most. And so that's one of the reasons why we gather together here this morning by God's design course to learn new truths and to be reminded of ones we already know truth that makes us effective and productive for the lord and keeps us on the straight and narrow path that leads to life yeah to forget that kind of truth can be very costly especially when we're talking about our duty before god so that's why peter's not shy to admit here verse 12 so I will always remind you of these basic things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will, therefore, in essence, make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to recall, to be reminded, to remember these very things. So three times in the paragraph, in uh, verse 12 and verse 13 and in verse 15, an allusion to the importance of keep reminding ourselves of the truth that really matters, the truth that comes from God will make us or, or break us. And so let's walk through the rest of the chapter. We'll get down to verse 21, Lord willing, but it starts here now with the need to be continually reminded of soul-saving truths, even though we know them, and we're living them out in our lives currently. So note takers, uh, needful reminders is this first paragraph. Needful because we're morally weak and prone to sinning and forgetting. So Peter says, therefore, I have the intention to always remind you about these things, even though 
You already know them, and you're standing firm in the truth. You're practicing these things, uh, but it doesn't mean that you don't need to be reminded. Truth needs to be repeated. That's just the way things are. One writer said, sinners seem to have holes in their pockets of their souls through which the grains of God's truths so easily pass. Yeah, you know, when it comes to spiritual truths that require effort on our part or discipline or rub us the wrong way, which is most of the New Testament exhortations that tell us things like, you know, deny yourself, tell yourself no, consider everybody else more important than yourself. These are truths that kind of can go in one ear and out the other because uh, they're not exactly our favorite thing to do. And so... I mean, and it works even with, this is the case, uh, even with truths that we want to hear. We just tend to forget those as well. Like how many times have you read Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount when he said, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Look at the birds. They don't have part-time jobs. And, and yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. Aren't you worth uh, much more than they are? Are you not more valuable than they? Come on. Now, <clears throat> pretty sure that you all knew that and know that and try to live by that. But I'm wondering also if you have been worrying lately about anything. So even today, even though you knew this to be the case, you know the Son of God told you, uh, why bother worrying because you can't, change anything. It's a waste of time. You can't grow taller and you can't live longer. And actually, you might live shorter <laughs> because you're worrying. But see, do you see how even this wasn't even part of the message, really? It's not part of the text, but it's an, an illustration that proves the point and even indirectly by reminding ourselves of what Jesus has said, <clears throat> we are um, uh, more at peace and more at rest and comforted by these very things. And so, yeah, he says, I'm going to repeat myself. Uh, you know, Jesus repeated his core teachings. Um, the New Testament writers repeat the basics over and over again. Pastors uh, do the same. Teachers, parents, wives. That was a joke. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, mostly um, there must be many wives here today that didn't appreciate that. But um, the husbands as well, we repeat ourselves for sure. And uh, <clears throat> to remind people of things that they need to know, kind of like professional football teams and baseball teams, they just go over and over the same thing. Uh, you know, the same thing they practice as adults as they learned in Little League or Pop Warner football. Because <clears throat> that focus on the basics, the fundamentals, is really what it takes to win. And if a Christian wants to win, we will do the same. The basics, daily reading and reminding ourselves of those essentials in Bible reading, praying, worship music, singing. We, we sing and we remind our souls this is the path that leads to life. Christian fellowship, all of these things are ways that we can be reminded. And also to remind others is really our 
Christian obligation and ministry to one another to say, oh, 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 yeah, uh, thankfully the Lord said this, and then it puts the other person back on course, uh, a course to be uh, blessed. And so, yeah, I don't know about you, but I can't be reminded too often about certain things. I mean, if there's a rattlesnake under the porch, you know, and you haven't been able to catch it yet or trap it, you know, it's nice to be reminded, oh, yeah, don't forget, you know, there's the rattler over there. Yeah, I mean, and, and how much more the eternal word of God to remind us this is the way to enrich your life, to not implode and ruin and destroy the good things about life because you're missing the truth that God has put, uh, um, has established on this earth. So, yeah, reminding ourselves. So he says, I'm reminding you of these things. These things? What things? Well, the things he just mentioned, the basics of Christian character develop. He he told them, without Christian virtue and you cooperating with God to make uh, some moral changes in your heart and life, it'll make or break you. So yeah, how more basic is that to be reminded, as he said in the last paragraph, you need to have integrity instead of dishonesty. Well, that's what you tell a 10-year-old. Self-control rather than yielding to temptation. That's what you need, he said. So he said, I don't mind telling you these things because they're needful for you to hear because the human heart you know has a tendency to default back to me myself and I and without the constant pressure of the Holy Spirit and the word of God pointing it in the other direction when that's absent boom it goes back to self uh, centered living So we have to be careful about that so we're reminded and refreshing our memories. And notice the disclaimer here. It's interesting, he says, I'm not saying that you don't know these things or that you're not practicing them. But he understands uh, human nature here. So, So sometimes, and you know this is true, you go to remind somebody something that's basic or obvious and they take it as a slam as an insult. And they'll say, yeah, duh, like I didn't know that. What do you think? I'm like uh, in grade school, you know? So when they tell you or you're told, don't forget to, and it's an obvious no-brainer kind of thing, like love your neighbor as yourself, the tendency of human pride is to kick back and say, you know, what do you think? I'm a novice. So he has to say, look, simmer down. I'm not saying that you don't know it or that these truths aren't firmly, quote, firmly established in your life. So I know you're living it. I know you know it. But that doesn't mean you don't need to be reminded every day as often as uh, possible. So, yeah, why? Because Peter heard Jesus say, the spirit is willing, my friends, but the flesh is weak. And so that's the reason we need to be uh, reminded. Oh, just so you know, it wasn't just Peter always harping on the essentials. How about Paul? To the Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he says the same thing to them. 
Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul speaking, uh, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things over and over again to you, which he did. And it's a safeguard for you. So don't worry about me, you know, having to tell you over and over again to watch out for false teachers, which is the context of the passage. Because Jesus said over and over again, false Christ will come and there'll be false teachers. There'll be wolves dressed up like sheep. So it'll be difficult to see uh, who's who. But he says, by their fruit, you will know them. And so, yeah, repetition uh, necessary. Now, as he gives us a little heads up that the Holy Spirit somehow has told him that his days on the earth uh, are coming to an end, the language he uses gives us a little extra added uh, theological bonus uh, that we get to understand what the Bible says about death and how uh, Christians are to view death. And so he he and other New Testament writers and even Old Testament writers refer to our time as a pilgrimage, that it's temporary, that this isn't our home, that we have an eternal, permanent home in heaven with God. As Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. Now, not only is our time here temporary, like camping, so when you go camping, it's temporary, right? But and thankfully, <laughs> so you you know that you have your warm, cozy, soft bed waiting for you, so that you can get up off of the ground and go into a permanent dwelling called your house. But he says, not only is our time here like camping, but your body is like the tent, in that the tent grows, uh, shall we say. Uh, it, it can become saggy, it, it can, can become old, it, became, it can become in disrepair. And one, oh, someday that we will all move out of the temporary dwelling called the tent as a metaphor into uh, the palatial estate of our father with a body that is now transformed from a lowly tent into a body as glorious as Christ. Look at these amazing words from Philippians chapter 3. But our true and lasting citizenship is in heaven. So there, there's the, the idea that we're on this pilgrimage. This is not our final, <laughs> this is not our home. We're just passing through. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, and that's a lot of power, by that power he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had a resurrected body. And it's glorious, and he's still in his resurrected body, and he will always be in that resurrected body because it's a special body that's fitted for eternity. It's glorious. The word is glorious, just be spectacular in every way. And Paul says, uh, maybe you're unaware, and maybe you have some anxiety about what we will become. We will be us, and we will have this body that you're currently in, the tent. That 
will be yours forever, but only it will be raised and transformed by the power of God to be perfected and glorious, as glorious as his own body. So that just tells me, relax. You're not going to be disappointed. You, you, you won't... <laughs> You won't regret anything in heaven with the body that God gives you that's perfectly fitted uh, for eternity. And so we all look forward to that. Amen. And so uh, this is what he's saying. And somehow the Lord graciously told Peter after some probably 35 years after uh, he became a disciple. Now the Holy Spirit is saying through uh, the, 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 the surrounding climate under Nero, this is the time when Paul, the apostle, will be martyred as well as Peter. And so he's using this as one of the reasons that he's constantly drilling down, telling them over and over again the ABCs of the Christian faith in letter number one, in letter number two, and all of the ways he contributed to the gospel of Mark because he really down loaded his heart into the gospel of Mark. When you read the gospel of Mark, that is Mark writing, uh, but his father in the faith is Peter. And scholars say you can hear Peter's point of view through the whole gospel of Mark. And so he's saying, time is short. So I'm doing everything I can to remind everybody of the basics of the gospel, the truth that sets our hearts free. The second paragraph, he moves from saying these truths need to be repeated and these truths are trustworthy. So now onward. We didn't follow we apostles as opposed to the false teachers. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories. The word there is muthos where we get the word myths and some of your translations has fables or myths which is spot on. Uh, we didn't follow cleverly invented fables when we told you about two things he describes the gospel, the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the summary of the gospel. But we were eyewitnesses. We were like the false teachers make stuff up as they go, but we are eyewitnesses of the God who came down from heaven, uh, his majesty. And now he goes to tell you how he witnessed uh, the most majestic of all miracles found in the Gospels, the Transfiguration. Verse 17, for Christ received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice of God came to him from the majestic glory of God himself, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We were there. We handled the word of life, as John calls them. We heard the voice that came with our own ears, with our own hands, with our own eyes. We, we are eyewitnesses. This isn't hearsay, you see. And so he's saying these truths that you're being constantly reminded of, they're trustworthy and they can be an anchor for your soul and uh, a peace for your mind, a reliable guide uh, to guide you in, in everything pertaining uh, to life. And so 
Yeah, we, including the other apostles, we didn't give up everything, risk our lives, and endure torture and persecution uh, to follow cunningly devised myth and fables. So here's the point. He's saying the gospel, not like the other false teachings that were in the first century, uh, wasn't invented by human minds. Uh, It was a revelation from God himself. No man thought this up. And why would a man think the gospel up uh, if he wanted to uh, attract an audience? You wouldn't do it with the gospel if it was man's idea because the gospel is so offensive. It, It repels natural uh, human uh, pride. You see, what's the gospel say? Uh, You know, you're all helpless. You're hopeless. Uh, You can't save yourselves. There's nothing good in you. Yeah, you can comparatively call yourself good comparing yourself to somebody morally worse than you, but you fall uh, short as well. You can't save yourself. There's no hope. You need the Lord. You need to repent. That's not the kind of message a man would think of to, to, to say, hey, I've got something. You're a bunch of losers. You can't save yourself, you sinners. You know, who would want to follow a guy like that? And that is just one reason why we know that it didn't come from man because it shows man's ugliness and his weakness and his rebellion and his evil nature you see so he says no this is a revelation uh, from heaven and not uh, something that was generated here on earth and so uh, yeah myth is the way that it means nonsense or fairy tale the way to describe in the New Testament, it's used quite a lot to describe all the kinds of philosophies out there that um, try to pull the wool over people's eyes and and um, and alike, like Roman mythology. And there was something that the New Testament writers mentioned by name. It's Gnosticism, and Gnosticism uh, from the Greek word knowledge. Uh, talks about people who called themselves enlightened, that uh, that they were enlightened with a secret, mysterious truth that only those who are enlightened have. Now, it's amazing to me, as King Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, that 2,000 years later, the same um, false religious ideas like Gnosticism, exists today and oppose the gospel of truth. Did you know that the word Buddha means woke? And that wokeism from people who are woke had named themselves and the movement because Buddha's name means woke. It means to be enlightened with a new knowledge that comes from Eastern philosophies uh, to replace Western civilization that is founded by Judeo-Christian values. See, so when you're stuck in a world that, that honors boundaries and right and wrong and has absolute truth somewhere 
in the foundation of Western civilization. Uh, but then you become awakened to the Eastern ways of thinking, which is all, everything's God. There's not just one God. There's no accountability because everything is God. Therefore, since you are divine, you get to identify any way you want. You get to call some things okay and other things sin. But you are calling the shots because you're woke into a new, freeing, liberated way of taking out the boundaries of hard, right, and wrong, this and that. And now if men like men, that's okay. And if boys want to be girls, that's okay. There's no boundaries anymore because the universe is one. You're one with the universe. God is the trees and you are the trees. And we're all doing what we please. Which kind of rhymed there for a moment. So that's where that came from. And uh, this is amazing. So, uh, you know, it's not about myth or the godless ideologies. But he says it's about power and the, the intervention of God into the world he created, the coming of the Lord. And so I just love summing up the gospel and seeing what he says. In contrast to these ethereal, uh, kind of nebulous ideas about the universe being God and all of this nonsense, he says, our truth comes down from God in the form of power. The power (laughs) that can launch 10 billion galaxies into space by simply speaking a word. The kind of power that can open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears and raise the dead to life. To take a man who was killing Christians, Saul, and the power to make him the best Christian that ever lived. So our religion, if you want to call it that, it's not about these words. It's about power and about God coming into the world he created, even though he made the world, those in the world didn't recognize him. And uh, yet he says, to all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. And so he says, the word is power, and the gospel is about God and him coming into the world to rule and to reign. And he says, um, the word coming there is parousia in the Greek, which means um, arrival. And it's often used with emperors and kings when they would arrive somewhere with trumpets blasting and celebrations and great pomp and circumstances and fanfare and all of that so that that God himself has made himself known by entering in humbly and with humility the first time but as we've been promised and as he's telling them as you have been told he's coming again with glory and splendor to reign and rule uh, forever and this truth of his coming is validated by his miracle signs and wonders which were attested to by eyewitnesses. And he says, I'm one of those eyewitnesses. And so in other words, here's, and I love this, John chapter 10. Jesus says to his opponents, look, 
The miracles themselves testify on my behalf. They provide evidence that I am who I claim to be. So he says this, John chapter 10. If I can't back up my divine claims with miracles that only God could do, then don't believe me. But if I can do what only God can do, then you have to have a change of heart about me. You see? And so he'd, he'd go around, and that's what he did. He didn't just make statements like, I'm the light of the world. If anyone believes in me, you'll never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 8 and verse 12. And then in the next scene, he takes a man in darkness who's born blind, and he heals him. So he's saying, do you see, I claim to be light of the world, and now I'm going to prove to you that I can keep that promise by taking a man who's in darkness and bringing him into light. And this guy never saw one day in his life, and yet he healed him. And he did that over and over again until Nicodemus came to him in John chapter 3 and said, look, we know you're from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless God was with him. So this, this is what he's saying is, is that... This is not a message that can't be verified. It's verifiable truth in the Bible. And uh, it was done through miracles that eyewitnesses saw. And so he says, I'm one of them. And then he says, he quotes, um, and he picks, if I could speak in French, I would use the term pied de resistance, which means, of course, the most noteworthy example of what I'm talking about. He says, we saw the divine majesty on top of that mountain. So let me uh, read to you a condensed version of what Peter's talking about here when he says, let me tell you, man, uh, we saw him at his finest when... Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. There they are, eyewitnesses. And led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured. The word uh, in the Greek is where we get the word metamorphosis. He was changed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. It doesn't sound like a, a nice Jewish rabbi. Uh, you know, it sounds a little bit more than a man. You know, Jesus was a good man. Um, I, I've never seen a man like that. Uh, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Three times that happened. Uh, that's amazing. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. That's Peter. Peter fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and touched Peter and said, get up, Peter. He said, don't be afraid. And so Peter's point is, is that I was there on the mountain. I heard the voice. I saw the glory of God. And one writer said, yes, this is miraculous, but the even greater miracle is that Jesus somehow was able to keep that kind of glory from uh, shining forth because he was always God. He never became God. He was, a, a, he was who he is, God in human form, and he never stopped being divine and, and as glory, uh, glorious. And let me just assure you that whatever Peter, James, and saw in their frail humanity was dumbed down 
10,000-fold because the Bible says no man can see God in his fullness and live, do you see? So, so the spectacular vision of seeing the Son of God a little bit of like he really is, uh, is was just really proof for the world and for them as apostles who would carry the Christian church forward for 30 years, right, in their lifetime, uh, to give them something to live on. Like, whoa, we got the right person here, this uh, Jesus. Now, C.S. Lewis said this, mankind has a a trilemma on hand. Three problems, not a dilemma. The dilemma is two. Trilemma, three problems. Uh, and, and he says, we've been confronted with eyewitness reports and someone who claims to be God who does what only God can do to back it up. So you have the trilemma. Either Jesus is a liar, lunatic, or Lord. Those are your only three options. Now, somebody could say, no, I think he's a good man. Well, that's not what he said. He didn't say he was a good man. He said, I and the Father are one, and whoever has seen me has seen God. That's what he said. So then you're calling him a liar. See, it just comes down to three things. He's, he's either lying or he's crazy or he is God. You see, one writer said he's either, well, it's actually me who said this. <laughs> he's either mad, bad, or dad with a capital D. <laughs> All right. I borrowed it. I saw somebody said he's either mad or he's bad. And then they had a phrase that didn't rhyme with mad and bad. So I'm like, come on, man, let me help you out. So I came up with that, you know, capital D, right? Let's finish up with 19 through 21. So now he's moving from the message that bears repeating and uh, how it was, it's trustworthy because it comes through eyewitnesses, but more importantly, it's verified by the prophetic word of God. That more, The most important thing is that we have the word of God, you see. So let's read that. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. I like the King James there, so I added it. The prophetic message, which really means the Old Testament in the fullness of the Old Testament, primarily speaking about the prophetic words concerning Jesus to come, the Messiah to come. But he's really talking about the Bible there. The Bible is something completely reliable, and you do well to pay attention to it, understatement of the year. As you pay attention to the Bible as to a light, it's like a light shining in a dark place, I'll say, (laughs) until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Just beautiful language. I'll explain what that is alluding to. And then he says, if you forget everything I've ever said, remember this. You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, he's saying that not one verse of the Bible came about by the person who's writing his own interpretation. For prophecy, again, every verse of the Bible never had its origin in any man, but men, holy men, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we we made it to the end of chapter uh, 2. Let's talk about 
this. So I like what King James has a really a more sure word, meaning something even more reliable than the often, uh, authentic eyewitness accounts. There's something even more solid than that. What is that? It's the word of God. So what he's saying here is that you can look at the Old Testament and see 342 prophecies about Jesus, hundreds and some of them a couple thousand years old, fulfilled perfectly in Christ. Therefore, you know that the word of God is trustworthy. You can anchor your entire soul on it because it's been verified through the prophecies that were completed in Christ. You can also look at the state of Israel because after 2,500 years of not being a country, suddenly in 1948, May 14th, they became a country, just like the Bible said. So he's saying, check off the boxes next to the 342 prophecies about Christ. Did you know Matthew's gospel mentions 60 times this happened in the life of Jesus because it is written in the Old Testament X, Y, and Z. 60 times. That's an average of two times every chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. 28 chapters. He mentions 60 times this happened because it's written in Psalms. It's written in Genesis. It's written in Exodus, it's written, it's written, it's written 60 times. There's 240 other ones like that just about Jesus coming the first time. And there's 2,000 of them about his second coming. You see, so he's saying, look, it's not a fable. It's not a story. Men didn't make this stuff up. It's the living, breathing word of God. It's the breath of God Almighty. You can trust it. And he says you're going to need it because it shines, the word of God shines like a, in, in a dark place, it shines like a light in a very dark place. What is he talking about? He's talking about the darkness of men's minds and our hearts. Where Jeremiah 79 says that the human heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand how really bad it is? The answer is the Lord knows. So we still, even with the help of the Holy Spirit, seem to have a lot of darkness here and there. But he says, but you got the word of God. you got the presence of God. You've got some light. You can trust it. It's the light of God. Follow that light. And then, I, I just love it, also, not only do you have darkness that you deal with in your own heart, but you live in a dark world that Jesus said, look, light has come into a dark place and the world prefers darkness. It's a dark world. So in the midst of your own private darkness that you deal with, you're surrounded in a world of darkness, spiritually speaking. But he says, no worries. The lamp of God Almighty is burning now in your heart to his presence who is the light of the world and the Bible's words that bring you light. And he says, keep following that light. And here's the poetry. It's beautiful. Until 
the day dawns. He's saying, follow that light until the day dawns. Until the day dawns means the light of the world appears. When Jesus appears, the light of the world dawns. And what happens at dawn? No more light, no more dark. Night is over at dawn. So he's saying, Jesus is going to appear as the light of the world, put to flight the darkness forever. No more inner darkness to struggle with, and no more darkness in the world that he will be reigning and ruling the light of the world. And then it makes sense when Revelation says there will be no need for the sun or the moon because the light coming from the Lord himself will illuminate all things. And so this is a beautiful thing. And so he says, uh, keep following the light until the light swallows us all up. And it will grow more and more as you follow. He says, you'll have more and more light in your heart until that beautiful day when we see him and uh, all things will be made manifest. uh, And that will be a beautiful day. Then he says, above all, know this. The Bible wasn't written by men. And that's what sinners love to say, don't they? They love to say, you know, the Bible was written by men, right? You know what? They need to say that because they're desperate. What are they desperate for? They love their sin. They don't want to change. Do you remember? We all know that feeling because we all were them at one time. So they need to find a way to discredit the message that's a threat to their autonomy Autonomy meaning doing my own thing, getting up when I feel like it, you know, sinning, being selfish or rude or sexually immoral. Who cares, you know, if there's no God? But if there's a God, you know, it's going to ruin all of my worldly pleasures. So I have to find a way to discredit it. And one of the ways is saying men are flawed. So men wrote it. Therefore, if men wrote it who are flawed, then what they wrote is also flawed. But that's flawed thinking. <laughs> because the, and when someone says to me, hey, man, men wrote the Bible, I say, well, that's not what the Bible says about the Bible, just so you know. The Bible says that men held the pen, but the Holy Spirit guided and gave those words in a special, miraculous way that they were able to have the mind of God as they wrote it out. That the Holy Spirit, and here's the closing thought here, that there's a picture that the verb carried along is used to describe a ship on the open sea where the masts and the sails were unfurled and, and, and filled up with the wind and driven along by the wind at full mast and full set sail. Just, just this beautiful picture of all the sails full and guided by the wind. He says that's what God did. He, he picked men and he set them apart and men who were open-hearted and walking with God in such a way that they had their sails ready and open wide and the wind could fill them and drive them along in the direction of transmitting the words that lead to life. What a beautiful picture. So he says, no worries, people. It's a dark, dark world. And sometimes you have some dark, dark dealings in your own private life dark. We do. And in this world, 
But God has not left you in darkness. He's given you this burning torch that comes from heaven itself that will push away that darkness and will save you from imploding and shipwrecking. It'll carry you along until that great day when light swallows up the darkness and night shall be no more. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great love. Pray now, God, that you would take these words and apply them to our hearts, cheer us, God, and comfort us, and and remind us again, Lord, remind us of the power and the, the great help of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.